Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC sports. Let's go. Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. Eric McLean, we continue our world tour talking to a bunch of amazing football guests as we get ready for what we believe is going to be a really fun 2021 ACC football season. Our next guy up, let's just say, Mac, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> There's no question. He knows a lot. He's been around a lot. He's done a bunch of different things. Let's introduce our guest of the week, Tom Luganbill, who is the godfather of ESPN's recruiting database. Tom worked for Scout Inc. in 2002 when the company was then purchased by ESPN in 2005. Luganbill was instantly promoted to national recruiting director. He provides in-depth recruiting analysis for top collegiate football prospects on ESPN.com, as well as on-air analysis across ESPN networks for high school football recruiting and college football. And somehow, Kelly... He finds a way to do sidelines for ESPN or ABC on Saturdays. In his playing days, Luganville set the all-time national junior college record for passing while playing for Palomar Junior College in San Diego in 1992 and 93 when they won the JUCO National Championship with an 11-0 record. He then went on to play for Georgia Tech and Eastern Kentucky. Tom also played pro football in the Arena Football League for two years before beginning his coaching career in 1998. Guys, we cover a bunch. Let's get to the interview. All right, guys, we have Tom Luganville. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Listen, I wanted to have you. Uh, I've been waiting all summer for, for basically 4th of July to get here because you are one of the most American people that I know. So I've got to ask, <laughs> what did you guys do for 4th of July, was it a big celebration? Were you running around as, as Captain America? I mean, what did it look like? Well, I, I, had, I had quite the patriotic garb, I guess you could say. I had my, my PBR cowboy hat on. I had my PBR <laughs> uh, red, white, and blue swim trunks on. Um, yeah, man, I was getting after it. We had you know, the typical, you know, barbecuing, grilling. Uh, we were out at the lake with, with my family and floating in the water. Yeah. A, a real good weekend was had by all. I can tell you that. There, Tom, that sounds great. And, you know, Mac has mentioned this to me, and we've seen this from you on social media and things like that. I don't know if this is necessarily American, Mac, but <laughs> you're a big superhero guy. Yeah. Like, where does that come from? I guess as a girl, I just don't really understand. And not saying girls can't love superheroes, right. but where does that come from? You know, it's weird. I was never a comic book person. Like, I didn't grow up reading comic books. It wasn't any of that. But I did come up in the era as a kid where, like, the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve was released. And that was like, you know, from a film standpoint... You know, that was that was life altering. And then, you know, you follow that up and they finally make a Batman movie. And then you come through the Star Wars age and all of this and that. And then really, quite honestly, I've just always loved superheroes. And then we had our first baby, our son. And it was weird because his entire upbringing was Legos and superheroes. And not not necessarily because of me. We were just kind of into it together. And he really wasn't into sports at all. And then all of a sudden he got to about age 11 and it became all about sports. So it was really, I think, initially something for he and I to connect over. And then during that time was when 
they finally had the technology to make all of these movies. So, you know, it started with Incredible Hulk and then Iron Man and, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger. And then uh, Dave Pash and myself, my, my broadcast partner, got uh, the opportunity to broadcast the game in Batman versus Superman, Zack Snyder's film that was leading into Justice League. So that was pretty cool. We got to go up and, and spend some time in Detroit on the movie set and, and, and meet some movie stars and, and see how the, the green screen works and all that type of stuff. So I don't know. It's just always been something like I'll be the first person to say it's totally childish. I'm literally 12 years old. I don't care. I don't care who judged me. If we were at my home I'm, right now, I'm, I'm at the lake. If we're at my home. We're looking behind me at my office. You would literally see nothing but superhero and football paraphernalia of some kind behind me. I love it. And I'm the, I'm the same way, not to the extreme, but I, I'm a big superhero guy. Love the movies, love just mm-hmm. how people can connect in a weird way with superheroes. And I think it's, it's, it's super cool. So I've got a quick follow up with that. If you were you know, a superhero and blessed with these power or powers, I mean, what would what would your what would it be? I mean, would it just be flying? Would it be a combination of things? What, what would kind of be your uh, your go to here? Well, I think that's one of the things that makes Superman so unique because he has every single one of basically the superpowers everybody would like to have. Flight, indestructibility, heat vision, uh, he can blow cold air. I mean, basically everything you would need to do, he can do. But I, I would probably either, uh, it'd be one of three. It would be Superman, Captain America, or Wolverine. I love, I will love Wolverine. And I'll be honest with you, outside of The Dark Knight, which I think is the greatest superhero movie ever made, I could make a, a, a pretty sturdy argument that Logan, the final Wolverine movie with an older Hugh Jackman, was the second best superhero movie ever made. Did Have you heard or seen the, the uh, rumors that there's another one coming? I have. Dude. Well, there, there's or like, yeah, just today on Twitter, there's a because apparently, you know, Hugh Jackman said, I'm done with this. It's, it's run its course. And then he tweets a picture of a forearm with three exactly. blades coming out of exactly. the hand. And then he takes and then he's taking a photo with Kevin. What? Feig, yep. Who heads Marvel. So look out. I don't know, man. I would, I'd love to see it. I, I would. I'm not going to lie. No question. No question. Man, Twitter is good for everything. Every single sort of well, rumor. Well, sometimes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah. Good for rumors, but uh, yeah. fairly great for a lot of other stuff. Um, okay, Tom, I'm curious because I don't really know this story. And um, we've asked a lot of people this when we have ESPNers on. But can you tell us your story of how you got to ESPN and, and how that process <laughs> began for you? By accident. <laughs> um I, I, and, and, and I'm somewhat serious when I say that, I, and I, I don't want to be too long-winded, but I, I had been in coaching and scouting in professional football for about 11 years, and I had moved out of the coaching profession and gotten into uh, scouting and player evaluation full-time. And at that time, I had gone to work for an independent company that not only serviced NFL ball clubs as a supplement to their internal in-house player evaluation efforts, but we also had contracts with other media outlets, Sports Illustrated, CNN at the time, and even ESPN. And initially, in the early years of what our group was at that time called Scouts Inc., we provided a lot of the background information, the X's and O's intel that would be used for the analysts that were actually going on air. We weren't Disney employees, we weren't ESPN employees. Um, so we, we, we serviced a lot of different people. And then out of nowhere, I'm just doing some freelance work. And the guy that I worked for reaches out to me and says, hey, listen, um, ESPN's approached me and they're thinking about 
providing content and coverage of the evaluation of the high school football player in the same manner that we do for them at the collegiate and the NFL level. And at the time, the company was myself, Todd McShay, and a couple other folks that we had that were behind the scenes. And our contract happened to be up with ESPN. And instead of just signing a new contract, we actually sold the company to ESPN. So Scott Sink went under the Disney umbrella. Myself, Todd McShay, a handful of others came on board. I then agreed to start up what is now our, our recruiting arm um, and on the evaluation side. Well, I made a decision. I'm going to get out of coaching. I'm going to stay out of coaching. This is a neat endeavor. We had, we had good contract terms, and I'm going to kind of see this thing through. Within like four months of this happening, and this is the part that happened by accident, um, the head of the person at the time, whose name is Burke Magnus, who's very high up in our company now in programming, he was heading up this new endeavor. They were going to launch a new all-college network called ESPNU. So when that happened, it's an all-college network. Um, we had just been brought on board, myself and Todd McShay, and he went to our people at .com and said, hey, can these guys do television? Because we want to have a recruiting uh, arm to this. It's an all-college network. So, again, make a long story short, I was asked to come to Charlotte and do a couple of test runs a couple of times. Fast forward 15 years, and, and here I am. So when I, I initially signed on, it was nothing other than ESPN.com work. It was all digital. It was all player rankings, player evaluations, write some articles and some pieces. It then led into television and some radio and some other things, and uh, and then eventually led into the majority of my work on TV is now college football. I still I still have the same duties and same responsibilities in recruiting, but ended up kind of growing into uh, you know an analyst on the college football side, a host on the college football side uh, as it related to studio platforms, and then really I was the first guy that we've ever done the field analysting with, um, and so that kind of became a little bit of a niche, and uh, like I said, fifteen years gone by, and here I am. How about that? I mean, that's truly remarkable. And I, I won't really want to dive into some of the recruiting stuff and maybe even get into some specifics with some of these ACC teams. But first, I, I really want to just ask about the evaluation process. You and I have talked about this on ESPN, on ACC Network, and you know, just going back and forth on, on how you guys rank these guys. There's only like four or five stars for the ESPN rankings. Just tell us like how does a guy get, I guess, to be that prestigious? How, how do they get to that point? What's the, the mindset behind it? Why you don't have, you know, 35 five stars? And, and really, I guess, just kind of why, why you guys do what you do. So, you know, I, it's, first of all, player evaluation is difficult when you're doing it with a 28-year-old NFL veteran. You know, with those guys, you at least, you know the definitives. You know the pros, you know the cons. They're probably on the downside of their career at some point. It's a lot easier to make projections. It's a whole different ball of wax to do it with a 15-year-old kid because there's so many unknown variables. There's, there, there are so many things that are going to come to fruition that haven't happened yet that may be impossible to project. So essentially, you're going to be wrong. You're going to miss on guys. You know, when you just look at the sheer numbers, roughly 2,800 kids will sign a national letter of intent um, in, in major college football across the board. Well, that's, that's a huge number. There's about 1.3 million uh, high school players, all right, about 7 to 8% of that number will actually have a chance of playing college football at any level. So it gives you an idea of how good you actually have to play to be a potential scholarship athlete. And I'm not talking about just at the Clemson. 
but at a Ball State or, a, you know, a Southern Miss or wherever it may be. So what we try to do is really kind of take that with a grain of salt and acknowledge that we're going to miss on some things. There's going to be some things that we won't be able to hit on. And so what you try to do is gather as much information as you can. And that is going to be done through film study and then information gathering. When the information gathering part of it, it really comes during the spring and summer months where you're out at camps and combines, you're putting kids through the paces. Because the one thing that's a lot of people probably just gloss over is football is the one sport that you can't duplicate in the offseason. You can duplicate basketball, tennis, swimming, diving, all of baseball, softball, but football is a collision uh, contact-based sport that when you put that player in shirts and shorts, there's only so much data and intel you're going to get out of that. So during the spring and summer, you're going to want, you know, height, weight, measurables, speed, whether it's 20-yard short shuttle, 40-yard dash, three-cone L drill, a, a variety of agility football drills that if you've ever played the game, you've all been through when you've, you've practiced throughout the week. And you're trying to confirm information, all right, or assess what you think you've already seen on film. So we generally start with kids when they're freshmen and sophomores, continue to track and build them back up. We're going to have, and I'll get to your five-star question here in a second, we're going to have probably 375 to 380 kids that we would label as four-star caliber kids, meaning that player 301 through 75 could easily be interchangeable from player 215 to 300. I mean, you're talking about the eyelash of a difference. I mean, that's how, how minute it is. But where we are with the five-star deal, I, I've always told our guys, I said, when you're going to evaluate, don't pigeonhole yourself to where you have nowhere to go but down. These are kids. There's going to be growth. There's going to, there needs to be a ceiling for development. And unless we are sure and you're standing on the table and you tried to eliminate every red flag and you know that athletically this guy is a, a, a can't-miss guy, which I don't believe there's any such thing, but athletically you can watch him on film and you say, okay, this guy's going to be an immediate impact difference maker. Unless you are convinced of all of the boxes being checked, you're better off rating him at a very highly graded four-star grade, which would still put you in the top 15, top 20, top 25, top 50 players in the country, regardless of position. You're better off doing that because then if you put a guy at a bunch of five-star grades and that guy doesn't pan out, there's nowhere to go for him to, but down. You know, I can always sit there and say, yeah, we graded this guy as a high four-star guy. And by the time he was a redshirt junior, he became a five-star player at the college level. So what we've done is we've tried to look each and every year. We say, okay, look at college football. Okay. Are more and more freshmen playing? Yes. How many freshmen, though, are playing and are impact players? Not role players, not players that, that start or play a lot. Impact, but a Trevor Lawrence, okay? Um, let's just say a Jadavion Clowney at that time, um, a, a Leonard Fournette, uh, an A.J. Green, a Julio Jones, all right? You're talking about 85-man rosters for 130 teams. The number is actually really, really small. And our take has been, well, if there's really 35 five-star guys coming out of every class, there should be a much larger number of players having a big impact early on as a freshman. And the reality is there's not. There's, there's a pretty select group, but there's not this mass number. So we've kind of just decided to kind of taper it back a little bit, allow for some growth. And if that means somebody comes back to us three years from now and say, how did you not have this guy a five-star, but he was the 27th player in the country, I have no problem with that criticism. I mean, you're, you're dealing with kids, and uh, at the end of the day – and I tell our guys, dig your heels in. If you believe in a kid and you, and you think we should rank him high, great. If there's something that's 
that's missing on a kid and everybody else is telling us that he's so good, but you don't like him, dig your heels in. That's fine. And if we end up being wrong, great. If we end up being right, then we knew the one thing that we held on to that led us to that decision. We were right in doing so. That's really interesting. You're right. Kids, quite unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. Um, before we talk about the 21 and 22 class, you got me thinking when you were talking about your valuation theories and processes. Um, if you don't mind sharing with us, can you give us a recruit over your time doing this that you've been right about that a lot of people weren't necessarily on? And then flip side, can you give us a recruit that you were like, mm -mm, I don't see it. And he ended up being uh, a big time player. Um, yeah, one that kind of comes to mind that that I would say that we we were we were right on and nobody else was. And it was the early days of the Nick Saban era. It was Courtney Upshaw. Remember Courtney Upshaw? He ended, I think he ended up being a first round draft choice or early second round, whatever. Went on to play for the Patriots. Really, he was an in state kid in the state of Alabama, and nobody was really recruiting him. And we loved him, and we couldn't figure out why nobody was recruiting him. And so. When we graded him, he graded out really high for us. He ended up being really high on our rankings, and he wasn't high for anybody else. And he, and he ended up panning out. There's another guy that was out of the state of Michigan named William Campbell, who in another year, we just didn't see it. We're like, why is everybody ranking this? There were some people that had him in the top three players in the country, and we had him at like 30-something. We took a lot of public heat for that one. And it, we just, there was something missing. We, we, we didn't think he played very hard. And it, we just, we weren't buying in. And I think what happened was, is he was one of those guys that would go to a camp or a combine, have a great outing in a shirts and shorts setting, which Eric, you know, as well as anybody else, there's nothing more rigged than an O-line, than an O-line, D-line, one-on-one -on -one right. session when there is no pads, right? Because right? awesome. the offensive guy... The offensive guy is on his heels. The defensive guy has no run support responsibility, and he has a two-way go, right? It's like, well, how's the guy supposed to win? So, yeah, the defensive lineman should win every rep. So, um, so we didn't like that. And then another one, uh, this was a big one. And we rolled the dice on this one. We ended up being right. But Khalil McKenzie, who was this massive defensive tackle out of California that went to Tennessee, and everybody thought he was the greatest thing since pocket T-shirts. And we didn't see it. Didn't like him. He didn't play hard. He didn't have a motor. We thought he was scheme limited because he was a 340-pounder. We thought he was a true true nose that wasn't going to be able to play on, on later passing downs. We, we, we ended up being right. Now, I'm trying to think of one where, like, we were way off. And trust me, I know there have been a lot of glaring ones where we were way off. Um, I'll tell you one. Um, and it was a quarterback. And he ended up – he's actually still in the NFL – but he ended up having his best season when he transferred to Louisiana Tech, and that was Jeff Driscoll. Do you remember Jeff Driscoll, the quarterback? We were at we were actually at a uh, Under Armour camp together. Jeff Driscoll and I were you in Orlando? Okay. So the thing about Jeff, then you would know this is it was a great lesson. Don't always get caught up in physical attributes because you're talking about a dude that was six three and a half, two twenty five, ran four five five. Huge arm. He was Tebow 2.0. I mean, that's what everyone yeah, huge, Yeah, huge arm. And But for whatever reason, something just wasn't clicking right. And it just never panned out for it. We had him as a top 10 player. And he never came. He had his opportunities. Never came close to performing to that level. And again, Kelly, I know there's others trying to think. And I'll probably think of one later on. And I'll just blurt it out. So if I do, forgive me. But no, trust me, this you're talking about 
we start going into the database and we probably on average will grade between 3,500 and 4,000 kids in a given cycle. So you talk about doing that over the course of 15 years. Uh, trust me, we've missed way more than you've, <laughs> than, than you've had. And there's one thing I'll say about that. When you miss in, in player evaluation, it's rarely, it rarely has anything to do with physical attributes. It's always some other variable, um, whether it's substance abuse, being homesick, uh, can't be accountable for your time, hanging around a bad crowd, um, can't, can't handle getting up in the morning without mommy and daddy tapping you on the shoulder. It's something else. It's, it's rarely that, oh, boy, we just missed because this guy wasn't athletic, he wasn't big enough, he wasn't fast enough. Those things are pretty verifiable nowadays. There's so much data out there. But that's why coaches spend so much time on researching the type of guy that they're getting, not just the type of player they're getting. No question. I don't think there's any question about it. Okay, let's move forward a little bit. We, we've heard about the, the process, why we do the things we do, and, and how we evaluate. I want to kind of look at this 22 class that, that is going to be coming in. And I know it's early. I know a ton is going to change. But is there an ACC team or a couple ACC teams that have kind of impressed you so far and what they've been able to uh, you know, get commitment-wise from this 22 class? Well, I think from 2022, you, you have to look at, at Florida State and say, hey, you know, they, they're, they're making some headway. I, and, and I, I got to be honest with you, this is just me, and, and you being a part of the ACC network, you've studied these teams, you've seen them. I had three Florida State games during the two-year Willie Taggart tenure, all right? And it was really – it was coming off, you know, obviously they had been very successful, had been had great quarterback play, and then all of a sudden overnight it was when they went to terrible quarterback play and were terrible in the trenches. But what I also saw on that team is I saw a team that didn't have a good locker room. I saw good athletes, but maybe some bad people. And that will destroy a football program. And I think I say that because it leads me to why I think Florida State's making some inroads right now is I think they know they need a culture shift. They know that there's some people they need to start phasing out. And what is the one thing that recruits are going to gravitate towards? Early playing time. If you're being told that you have an opportunity to get on the field, make a difference, begin a new era, blank canvas, you're going to be attracted to that. Now, it's early. It's the summertime. We'll, we'll see how many commitments get held over as we get into the fall and lead up to December. But I think they're, they're really selling the reset button and the fact that, hey, this is still a storied program. This is Florida State, and we are, we're not going away. We're certainly not going to go away quietly. But I do think a lot of this isn't just about athletes with them. I think they're trying to shift the culture of the person that they have to enhance their locker room chemistry. Secondly, I, I would say uh, North Carolina is continuing to make strides. And we all knew it was going to happen. I mean, that, that's Mac Brown's bread and butter, how he interacts with people, with kids in particular. You know, the one thing I've always said about the state of North Carolina, which makes it difficult in recruiting, is there's really good football, really good high school football, right, and really good players. Problem is, it is the most oversaturated state of universities that play college athletics of anybody in America. I mean, think about it. You have four power five schools to play football within an hour and a half of each other. So nobody grows up with an allegiance, right? If you have an allegiance in the state of North Carolina, your allegiance is NASCAR, golf, all right, or whatever basketball program you follow. Duke, North Carolina. Did you just describe uh, Ryan McGee? Is that who you just described? Right. Exactly, right? I mean, that's that's basically what happens. So – and I've talked with Mac Brown about this. You, you've got, you somehow have to make your place the place to be. 
that you don't want to leave home, that there isn't a better place for you, and that we are going to compete for championships. And, you know, in the past it was, you know, Todd Gurley's from North Carolina. He goes to Georgia, okay? We've seen it with countless Clemson players um, that, that were in North Carolina, decided to go to, to, to Clemson. We've seen it with players that were – Jeffrey Pagan was a great defensive tackle at Alabama. He was a North Carolina kid. Saw North Carolina kids go to Tennessee, but they weren't staying at home. And that's where Mac Brown's made the biggest difference, is now the top high-profile players seem to have a reason to stay at home. Now, why did that happen? Because he just so happened to hit on a quarterback in his first cycle. I mean, if you do that, you have such a leg up because you improve rapidly as opposed to a, a slow burn, and it, put the, it, it, it created some, some buzz and some excitement for him. It's so interesting when you think of Sam Howell's decision because – how could that have changed everything if he stayed with FSU? How different would things be right now? It's like one recruit can just shift so many things. Especially at the most important position in, in all of sport, really. I mean, and, and again, take that Florida State set of circumstances and where they were. It wouldn't have just been, okay, Sam Howell's very gifted. We all know that. But if you watch Florida State those last three years and you've seen them up front, it might not matter how good the quarterback is. They can't run the ball and they can't protect them. What are you going to do? And that's probably what Howell saw. Um, okay, let's look at the 21 class because these are guys that can make an impact right away this season. There are some big names coming into the ACC. Mac has seven written down here. I think these are kind of the big seven, but we'll, we'll just ask you first and foremost, who stands out for you in this 21 class that's going to be able to play and maybe make an impact? You mentioned how freshmen sometimes struggle to make an impact early, but which of these guys could do that? I think Jeremiah Trotter is a player. The the linebacker with Clemson is a guy that's got a chance to be really, really good. Keyshawn Silver is another one. And the reason why I bring him up with North Carolina is they need to be better in the defensive front. They need to have better players up front on defense so that they can close the gap with Clemson. That's the difference between Clemson um, and, and everybody else uh, right now. I think those two guys who happen, by the way, to be top 10 overall players for us in that 2021 class – have an opportunity to, to, to make an immediate impact. Will Shipley, I think, is another one. If, if you ask me from a running back perspective, I think sometimes, and you would know better than anybody else, Eric, I don't think people are giving enough credit or credence to how big the loss of Travis Etienne and Amari Rogers together are. Together. You lose those two guys because, and you're an offensive line guy, but I think Clemson is, is in a phase right now in the offensive line where they're very average at best. And a Travis Etienne made them a lot better up front. And so can Will Shipley come in after being a mid-year guy and, and have a significant role? And then I also think, you know, as a result, to help that offense, not to get off point here, but they need to become a different offense with DJ. They need to be using DJ as a runner. But as a freshman, I think Will Shipley's got a chance to be outstanding uh, for Clemson moving forward. It's, it's interesting because... A guy like James Williams that signed with, with Miami, I think he's got an opportunity uh, to, to play. I also think somebody, depending on the health of Derek King, somebody like Jake Garcia, the quarterback, who was a mid-year enrollee, he's probably already worked his way into the number two spot. You never know. You're one spot away from playing. Uh, I think he could be another guy that could maybe make some, make some uh, inroads. And then the other, going back to the 2022 class, and I don't know what's going to happen with the current stable of quarterbacks at FSU, but let's assume Mackenzie Milton stays, all right? He gets the extra year of eligibility. But A.J. Duffy is a quarterback they're signing out of the 2022 class that is far and away better suited for what Mike Norvell wants to do um, on offense. So he could have a bright future for the Seminoles. 
No, no question about it. I, I think we have heard so many great things from Jay Garcia already. And, and the fact yeah. that, you know, that's where Miami just has struggled for so long is just the quarterback room. It's just been inconsistent. It hasn't been, yep. you know, a leader for whatever reason. Obviously, King has has totally blown that out of the water. And if he's healthy, that'll be great for those guys to see how to do it, not only in the locker room, but on the field. But Jay Garcia, I think, is is going to be the real deal. So I'm super excited about that. You mentioned FSU as your, um, you know, one, your your first team that you mentioned in the ACC that's really doing mm-hmm. well in 22. I think they've done unbelievably well in the transfer portal as well. Right. Talk to me about your thoughts on that. I mean, it's college free agency. Do you like where it's going as a guy who yourself, you know, transferred and and got a different mm-hmm. opportunity somewhere? What, what are your thoughts on that? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing for college athletics? Well, I, I think the, the unfortunate byproduct of, of the world we're living in right now, particularly with recruiting and all of the accolades and the adulation that is praised and heaped upon the shoulders of these kids, is we've created a lot of entitlement. We've created a lot of uh, me, me, me culture. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, so much of what a prospect's attracted to is early playing time. And they all think... And listen, I get it. I can put myself back into that mode. They all think they're going to make the jump. It's going to be easy. And they're going to be a dominant player. And they're going to walk off into to, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And, and everything's going to work out. And they don't always have an appreciation for the work that has to go in at the next level. Because player A may have been, may have been a big fish in a small pond at the high school level. He's heavily recruited. He signs with Clemson. Guess what? He walks in the room. And everybody in that room was him before him, right? And then all of a sudden he gets frustrated because now it's a lot harder to get on the field, right? And the mentality starts to be, well, I'm going to pick up my ball and I'm going home. This isn't the right place for me. Uh, I'm not playing a lot. And that part for me gets a little bit frustrating because we have created an easier path for kids not to compete for something. Nothing's going to be handed to you. And, and, I think what you've got to understand as a prospect when you get into to college, and this is going to lead to my answer about transferring, is the one-time transfer, I get it, all right? we Let's just say you're, uh, Chase Bryce was a great example, all right? He'd been through, what, two or three quarterback battles, wasn't climbing the depth chart. He battled it out. He fought. He scraped. Clemson fans appreciate him. But you know what? His clock was running down, and he wanted to play. I don't blame him. Go find a great place where you can be happy and be home. Where I have frustration is with, with the kid that jumps into the transfer portal and he hasn't even been on campus for 15 months or he hasn't even been on campus for 18 months. He hasn't even given it an opportunity. He's disgruntled. He's frustrated. He's probably pouting. Things aren't going for his way, probably for the first time in his entire career. So he jumps into the transfer portal. And I do think there should be a deterrent for that younger player. I do believe that if you're going to transfer early and you haven't even given a shot to be a guy, I think you should have to sit out. I really do. I think if you, if you get past two full calendar years, then all bets are off. You've given it an opportunity. You've gone through a couple of cycles. And I know that sounds a bit like a get-off-my-lawn mentality, but I do fear that we've created this, this easy path for everybody. And, and it's not easy. It gets harder. I mean, and, and I, get, I also get the transfer where – because I was caught up in this. I mean, I can tell you I was not recruited out of high school at all, all right? I chose to go to junior college to prove myself. And you know what? After two years – won a national championship. I ended up working my way into being one of the most heavily recruited junior college players in the country. I signed with Georgia Tech. A lot of people may not know this. They had a returning starting quarterback, and I signed with him anyway, all right? He was a much better athlete than I was. I was a much better passer than he was. The offense that we were running at that time, I ended up coming in. I ended up beating him out. 
all right? We have a horrible year. We're, we're a terrible football team. Leads to the coach getting fired. Well, I go through spring football. I didn't transfer when the coach got fired. I go through spring football, and it became very evident they were going to start going more option-based quarterback run stuff. He was a great fit for that. I wasn't, all right? So now you got to find – I gave it a spring under the new coaching. It just didn't happen. I didn't want to leave. Heck, I was, I was a starter. So I end up transferring. It works out great, and that's all fine and dandy. But the problem is that's not generally the case for everybody. What people don't understand about the transfer portal is there's – at one point there was over 3,200 kids in the transfer portal at one time, all right? There's no scholarships. That, that's the problem is everybody thinks that the grass is greener on the other side and, and that they're going to go from this place to that place and all of a sudden they're going to get re-recruited or that these opportunities are going to be presented to them. They're not. There's no scholarships for you. So whoever you're listening to, you better listen to the right people and people that truly care about you, not the person that's tapping your shoulders saying, oh, they're screwing you. You need to go here and you need to get out of there because you might regret it real quickly because there's not going to be many places to go. I've always had that thought. Like, all these guys are in the portal. Are there even enough spots to bring all them back out of the portal? No. And, Kelly, what's made it even worse is now that we gave everybody in the NCAA an extra year of eligibility, all right, now it makes it worse because there's going to be a trickle-down effect. Somebody's going to lose. I can tell you who was already lost in the first cycle of this. It was the junior college player because now schools are saying we're going to allot our scholarships to – uh, the grad transfers, all right, transfer portal, and high school kids. On signing day, this past signing day, there were 100 kids that signed. The year before, there were 300 out of the junior college ranks. All right, so you saw a 200-player dip. That means those scholarships went away from those players and either went to a high school player or a transfer portal player. And now the problem with the coaches and what they have is they're all out there with their advocates trying to count all these numbers. They don't have, they don't have the answers because they don't know which seniors are going to stay and which are going to go. So they can't go tell a high school player, yes, I have a scholarship for you. Or a transfer portal player, yes, I have a scholarship for you. They don't know yet. So real challenging times for, for coaches, but that's why they get paid a lot of money. They do. They do. They're going to have to do a little math um, for, for all the money they make. Okay, speaking of just changes and craziness, what about NIL? If we're past July 1st here, I mean, look, we're only, what, I don't know, six days into it. But how do you see this impacting recruiting specifically? Well, you know, I have so many thoughts on this, and I've done so many shows over the last 10 days on this. And, and, and some of my thinking just in a 10-day span has, has shifted a little bit. I, my, my biggest concern, and it still remains my chief concern, is we've enacted the most transformative legislati- legislation that the NCAA has ever seen going back to, what, 1984, okay, which had to do with TV rights and all that stuff and created the arms race and conference alignment and all that stuff. We've enacted this with absolutely no blueprint, no rules, no guidelines. Are we going to police it? Are we not going to police it? If we are, who's going to police it? Is it going to apply to recruiting? Is it not going to apply to recruiting? Some states have legislation. Some states don't have legislation. So you have this open market wild, wild west right now. And there's, I think, a false notion that all of a sudden everybody's going to get rich and all these players are going to start to earn. No, they're not. There's going to be a very small percentage because the reality is what creates your value? Either your social media presence, do you have a wide reach? But more importantly, who are you on your given field of play? Are you productive? Do you produce? Because you're not a, your, your market value is going to be based on 
Are you a superstar or are you an emerging superstar? So if you don't perform under the guidelines of your scholarship, NIL will never come to benefit you. And I said, the players got to remember that. But I will say this, and I've given this a lot of thought too, where I think NIL is going to really benefit people are the Olympic sports. Sports where the athletes have an opportunity to play in the Olympics. Well, why is that? Well, if you're a swimmer, a diver, track and field, women's softball, what have you, there's no professional route for you to go, right? It's not like basketball and football where if you're good enough, you've capitalized on NIL, you still have an opportunity to, to play in your respective sport professionally. If I am a, a Olympic team endorser, all right, like I think about Jeremy Bloom when he was trying to play at Colorado and they wouldn't let him do it, and I'm, I'm K2 or I am head or I am any number of uh, companies and businesses that endorse downhill skiing, all right, I'm going through and I'm identifying every single kid that is 18 to 20 years old that could be a potential Olympic silver or gold medalist and could compete in, let's just say, the next four Olympic cycles, I'm finding that guy and I'm starting now. Because you're not just doing this for what that player brings to you while they're in college. You're looking at it at them after college. Whereas football, this is going to be NIL during your football career and then everything else, is it's going to be gone. It's, it's, you're going to move on to something else. And in 99.9% of the players that play college football – will not make an NFL roster. 0.5% will. So after that college run, 995 are going to be gone. They're, they're, they're out of there, and NIL is going to do nothing else for them. But with those Olympic athletes, I think you could see that turn into a 10, 12, 15-year deal. I mean, think of a, being a Gabby Reese as a pro beach volleyball player. All right, uh, we could go over a, a numerous people, but if that person was identified as a teenager, right, became a scholarship person, she, I mean, she was a model and all those sorts of things, but think of what they could have done by identifying and, and earning off a name, image, and likeness. So I, it's, it's interesting. I, I do think there will be pitfalls. There will be stumbles along the way. As with any legislation, there's going to be unintended uh, consequences. There will be unintended ramifications. Uh, one of them being, and I think I'm a little concerned about all of this, is that the, your conduct and morality clauses in, in contracts, what you're signing on for, who you're representing, um, there, there's a whole business and tax and financial side to this that I don't think we've done a good job of preparing the players for. I mean, think about it. Put us all back at being 19 years old, and all of a sudden I go to an appearance, four appearances in four months, and I earn $20,000. Would I be responsible with that? I, I would like to think I would, but I know a lot of people wouldn't. So I think there's, there's some downfall, and I hope we don't see a lot of bad stories. Here's what I hope we don't see, y'all. I hope we don't see a player become a really good college player, be able to earn under name, image, and likeness, is foolish with his earnings. He makes a poor decision to leave early for the NFL draft, all right? Doesn't get drafted, and now he's finding himself on the streets with no NFL career, no degree, and blew all his NIL money. That's going to be a shame, and it's going to happen. You watch, it will happen to somebody. So we will have a few horror stories. I just hope we have more success stories. Yeah, no, no, no question. It's going to be very interesting to see how locker rooms behave, how how guys and gals are able to save that money because Uncle Sam's coming and he's going to want his Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be a very interesting. I think golf, college golf, is going to be another one that is 
is yes. super heavy. Because, I mean, you think of those players yeah. who are Nike, Adidas. For the same reasons. That's all they wear. Yeah. But now it's tailor-made. Yeah. It's Cobra. It's all these oh, yeah. different things. So I'm excited to see it. I hope that there's a lot more good than bad. But there certainly will be a, a little bit of both. As we're wrapping up here, Tom, I, I want to talk to you about the quarterbacks in the ACC this year. There's so much experience returning. You yourself were a quarterback that played in this league. Can you give us kind of your top guys that you're looking at? And then maybe an underdog, an under-the-radar type guy that, okay, you're having your eye on to say, hey, look, this guy's going to make a big jump this season. I'm going to give you that guy right off the bat because I, I think that Brennan Armstrong at Virginia has a chance to be really, Come on. really yes, good. And I'll tell you where I first started to catch on to him was actually their game versus Clemson last year. If you remember that game, that was tough sledding for the Tigers. That was a difficult game, and they didn't have an answer for him. He was, I thought he was, I looked at it, I said, who's this guy? I kind of continued to start watching him, start watching him. Then I was talking to Bronco Mendenhall about him uh, maybe about a month back, and they th- they're expecting him to have a special year. They're expecting him to make that next jump. Um, because he's a more gifted passer than Bryce Perkins was. He's still a really good runner. Um, he kind of has a Tim Tebow-esque feel. You know, you got that grit and competitiveness. And But I think he's got a chance to, to really elevate his game to the next level. Um, obviously, Sam Howell, we've, we've discussed. Um, I'm going to be very interested, as I mentioned briefly earlier, about how, how DJ performs. Um, what type of season? We have a small sample size, albeit a very successful one. But I think the components around DJ on offense are a lot different than they were the last couple of years under Trevor. And I really want to see if we start to see some 2010, 2011 Cam Newton type of offensive approach with the quarterback power, quarterback counter, quarterback read, some of those things to, I think, really enhance um, his skill set. You know, it's interesting. We were just talking about NIL. And I, and I looked to Derek King because I, I think Derek King – who is, has been, in, at least in the week's time we've had it, has been as proactive as anybody could be as it relates to NIL. He's capitalizing. He was prepared for it. He hit the ground running. Because I think if, if, if we're really being honest about Derek King, if he has hopes of playing in the NFL, it is not going to be as a quarterback. He needs to maximize NIL to the best of his ability, and by all means, good for him. But I do think in their offense, what, what Miami is offensively, he's the perfect fit for what they do. And whether it was Rhett Lashley under Gus Malzahn or out on his own, their offense, that scheme, the background of that scheme has always been at its best when the quarterback can be used as a designated runner. So I'm excited about that. I think Sam Hartman's got grit. I like him. I think he's, got, he's always got a chance to, 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 to play good enough to where they're a developmental program, but they're always really, really good. You know, they're a tough out for everybody. Um, I th- I, we don't know yet with Duke. Um, I think Duke's got a, a massive rebuild uh, across the board. They've got two new play callers, two new coordinators as, as David Cutcliffe uh, is, is stepping away. I'm trying to, you know, I think NC State might have not only one of the underrated players in Devin Leary back, but one of the better football teams. If you recall, that team got really, really good, really, really late, and then Devin Leary got hurt. And that's when, and I had the bowl game, it was an abysmal offensive performance. Um, and so uh, I think they'll get back because their roster as a whole and who they have coming back is going to be really, really good. So top to bottom, man, this league reminds me a little bit of like the, the 2009, 2010, 2011 era of what got the ACC back to competitive relevance, and it was good quarterback play uh, across the board. Chris Cross, let's knock on wood because 
you know, beyond Clemson, the other teams in this league, they have to show up, possibly be in the bottom of the top 25, win eight, nine games for the reputation of the league to increase. Okay, speaking of the league, we're going to put you on, on the spot here, Tom. I know it's July 6th, so we know nothing at this point. But ACC championship, <laughs> where we still have these stupid divisions. I'm not sure how you feel about divisions, but um, what, what do you think is going to happen? Who do you think is going to play in that ACC championship game? I'm going to go with Clemson and Miami. Clemson and Miami. Really? Okay. You like it? You Ooh. like it? That's our, that's our first non-Miami affiliated person to Is say that right? Miami. Well, so you know like what's that. interesting about yeah. it? I, I think they've got the components, uh, especially in that side of the division, to to take the next step. I, I mean, I really do. I, you know, you look at that division, you got you got some rebuilds still occurring. you got a bit of a reloading uh Pitt, you've got um, uh, Georgia Tech, which is getting better, but they're you know they're not there yet, um, and we're, we we still haven't had the we still haven't had the matchup that the whole entire league split into divisions for, and that's Florida State and Miami, and that's that's not happened anytime exactly. soon. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go with the safe bets here in July. I like it, man, Tom. This was so much fun, so much knowledge, so much great uh, just analysis for us, man. Thank you for your time. We enjoyed it. You bet. Uh, and, and again, thank you. You bet. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Tom Luganbill really knows his recruiting. That was a lot of fun, Mac, as we get ready for the 2021 season. As they say in uh, sports radio, where I also work, every season is crouton season. All right, Eric McClain. <laughs> You're always recruiting, and it's true, and there's going to be some freshmen that are going to make an impact this year in 2021. Uh, He also talked a good bit about some of the ACC quarterbacks. He's very excited about Brennan Armstrong, which I love. I know Virginia fans will love that too, so just really great stuff from Tom today. Yeah, no question about it. It was so fun just to get in-depth about a bunch of different things I know Tom is very passionate about. He loves to dive into uh, and really just hear kind of behind-the-scenes story of why they do what they do at ESPN for recruiting and, and why they only have certain a number of five stars, how they rec- uh, rank players, different things like that. It was really cool for him to you know kind of peel back the curtain for us. And I'll tell you another thing that was very interesting was you know the fact that he holds FSU with such high regard and who yeah. they were recruiting, how they were recruiting. Everyone listening, everyone who's an ACC fan, college football to be quite honest, knows that we need those guys to be back. Uh, and, and to be back, not not maybe you know winning national championships every other year, but at least competing for ACC championships, just for to have the the power of the ACC kind of back to where it belongs. But Kelly, let's get to some this or that because we have a little bit of a little bit of recruiting and and some prospects who are now on campus and seeing who's going to make a bigger impact. I love it. Okay, it's time for this or that, and the first question is which freshman will have a bigger impact this year in the ACC? Is it running back Will Shipley with Clemson or defensive end Keyshawn Silver with North Carolina? This is a tough one because these are two guys who are extremely versatile, who are extremely athletic, and really can do a bunch for their teams at their respective position. If you guys remember last week, Kelly and I debated, would you rather be a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman? And we showed you all the great reasons that there is for being a defensive end, but I have to go offense here. I think Will Shipley for Clemson, the fact that Travis Etienne is now in the NFL, 
is going to be a real possibility to fill that void, to help fill that void in a multitude of ways. I think he's going to be an absolute weapon out of the backfield as a receiver. And then running between the tackles, we'll, we'll see how you know ready he is to do that as a true freshman. But I think the impact that Will can have if Clemson provides to go that route with having him as a wide receiver can really, really be big time. You know, Mac, it's a great point, and I hate to pick the same person as you because it sounds a little Homer-ish, and I get it, but I think Keyshawn Silver is going to be a great player for North Carolina. Luke and Bill gets into it that they need more elite players on that D-line. That's how you close the gap is in the trenches, and that's going to be huge for them. I just think it's a lot more difficult to make that impact as a freshman on the D-line than it is at the running back position where I think Clemson's also going to use Shipley in some passing situations, they're going to give him opportunities to build his confidence. And I just think it's easier to make an impact there than it is on D-line as a true freshman. So I'm going to go with Shipley. And you know what's interesting, Kelly? I think that these two positions, running back and defensive line, are the two easiest to kind of transition into Mm. when you talk about going from high school to college because with running back, you can really limit what they do. You can just say, hey, we're going left, we're going right, we're handing you ball this way. There is obviously a ton that goes into the position with pass protection, running routes, different things like that. And same thing with defensive line. Hey, just go straight, go get the quarterback. We have seen more often than not these high-caliber defensive ends coming in that that's all their job is their first year. Say, hey, go be an athlete. You were so good at that in high school. Now let's transition to the big league and It's third down. We're putting you in there. Go beat your man one-on-one. So it's two positions that you can really dumb down and really get some great production out of. So very excited. I know we both picked Will Shipley, but I'm very excited for both of these young players' career and to see the impact that they can make early on in their careers. All right, let's move on to another group of guys. Again, these four are going to make an impact. It's just a matter Mm -hmm. of how much. Safety James Williams from Miami, who's a five-star guy, Six foot five safety. They really love just his hybrid ability. Or Malik McLean, kind of a, a cousin of mine potentially <laughs> uh, from FSU. Another big time prospect. Six foot four wide receiver from FSU. Kelly, which way are you going here? Look, these two guys are freaks. Okay, they both are going to absolutely stand out on the football field, on the practice field, as just freshmen. Now, Mac, I really appreciated your insight on the first question because. As a non-football, I didn't play football, I would assume D-line would be a little more difficult to pick up, but that was really good insight about running back and D-line. So, of course, keep an eye on Keyshawn Silver. I'm going to go James Williams. Now, this guy is a five-star. McLean is just a four-star. That doesn't necessarily matter. But at six, five and a half, right, at the safety position, I mean, that's a freakazoid stature right there. So I think he can make an impact, and I think he's going to have a little more help. That Miami defense has been very good the last couple years. I know they lose pieces, but they bring back some really good pieces, big Nesta up front. So I think he's going to have some help defensively. It's not going to be all on him. Whereas with McLean, I I just wonder who's playing quarterback, and Mackenzie Milton, is he healthy? Jordan Travis, he's no more for his legs. I'm not sure how much those quarterbacks will help McLean. So I'm going to go with James Williams for Miami. Yeah, I love those reasons. And I tell you what, I think that the the coaching staff for Miami, especially Manny Diaz, who I believe has taken over some of those play calling duties this year, if not all of them, has to be licking his chops. But at the same time, you can't overwhelm this guy. And maybe I, I know nothing about James Williams from personal standpoint. I've never met him. Not sure his his capacity to, you know, take in an entire defense. You know, can he be an Isaiah Simmons type player? 
from the jump. You know, he certainly is going to look like him, but can he, you know, kind of be comfortable in all those different positions and roles? I'm not sure. And, and you got to kind of be careful there where, as on the other hand with Malik, he's a big, tall wide receiver. Hey, man, run straight as fast as you can. Go get the football. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I think James might have a better long-term career, but I have to go with Malik here because of the nature of the position. He's going to have a quarterback in Mackenzie Milton, potentially, who wants to air it out, take the deep shots, take the long ball. So I'm going to go offense here and really think, surprisingly, back-to-back, yeah. uh, to see if uh, I, I think Malik McLean will be the guy that, that of these two, maybe makes some more noise earlier. And he's your cousin. Right. So we're, we're really Don't pretend like that wasn't a fact. <laughs> That's right. The distant cousins, you know, it's two brothers. One went this way, one went that way. We spell <laughs> our names differently. Uh, but let's move on. Okay. So this is, again, guys, the secret question. I accidentally sent her the email with the secret question. And I, I called her. I begged her. I said, please delete this. Don't look at it. And she did. So then I, I, I was able I, did. I was able to send it uh, without the secret question so she doesn't know. All right. Tom Luganbill, we just got done speaking with him. He told us what superhero he would be. And he gave Ooh. us like three options. It was kind of cool, you know, and, and that was kind of cheating because I wanted to know specifically and singularly which power you would like, KG. So if you could have any one power, you're a superhero, what would it be? I'm going to then take our two answers from this and then create a this or that for our fans. So I'm giving you a lot of freedom here. Ooh. I want to know what it is. And then we'll kind of create our own this or that on social media. This is really good, Mac. Really good. Oh, gosh. Okay. For me, it comes down to two things. And one of them, you know, Mac, I don't know much about superheroes. You need to tell me if this is actually a superhero power. power. <laughs> the first one is the ability to fly because that is some man has been trying to fly forever. And we figured it out, but we have to do it in this big hunk of metal. And I would like to do it myself. The second one, again, is this just Harry Potter or is this a superhero thing? I know Harry has the invisibility cloak. Can superheroes make themselves invisible? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, that's a thing? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that would come really in handy if you're trying to fight bad guys. Absolutely. Because you can just be invisible, and then you pop up on them, and then, boom, you kill them. <laughs> this is how I assume superhero movies That's go. exactly how it works. Again, huh? I know nothing. Um, if I had to pick, man, Mac, you hit me with these great questions. I think I'm going to go flying. Flying is just, that's that's what we need to do. I need to be able to fly. Are you going to say flying? I was going to, and I'm glad that you picked I that one. I can change it's to a invisibility. Gr- no, 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 no. Nope, nope, nope. It's a great power. Flight is a great power. Um, and, and visibility, you know, that that could be a little, you know, you could be a menace. You could be a villain with, with invisibility. Ooh. Maybe you're stealing stuff. I mean, Mac, I don't, who yeah. am I to tell myself that's what right. kind of superhero I am? That's right. So I'm going to go with the, the common sense thing and say super strength. I mean, obviously, oh, well, I mean, I've already got like a portion of it, but to have the whole thing would, would just be nice. So we've got flight on one side, we've got super strength on the others. I think I know where this is going to go because I, I've kind of seen this before. But it'll be interesting to all you listening and to our fans. Mm. Which power would you rather have? So you've got to kind of make uh, make us whole here on social media. But that's it. This is another great episode of Gramlick and Mac Lane. Do yourself a favor and go check out our producer, Richmond Weaver's podcast, Rich Take on Sports. Has so many great episodes. I actually just listened uh, to his Coffee Bean episode. It was fantastic. A lot of great stories just to hear Damon West's full story uh, was a really, really good episode. You want to go check that out. 
We always appreciate you guys listening. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. It's so fun to hear from you guys. But until next time, we'll see y'all.